It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. On Commons People this week, Hartlepool humiliation for Labour. Gillian Wendy Mortimer, commonly known as Jill Mortimer, Conservative Party candidate, 15,529. Who does the party represent? Uh, we are not reinventing the wheel. We are the party of working people. Uh, and we are oh, can I stop you there? You, you, you appear as though you're not the party of working people because you appear to be the party of middle-class graduates. And what does Keir Starmer do now? We okay. must never again send our candidates into an election campaign almost naked without a policy programme. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh and joining me this week is Paul Wall. Hi Arj. Hi Paul. Rachel Wearmaths here. Hi Arj. Hi Rachel and we're joined by the senior former Labour advisor Matthew McGregor. Uh, hi Arj. Hi Matthew, welcome back. How are you doing? Just, just great. Just great so far today. <laughs> Thank you. Tell us, tell us about your drinking habits Matthew. <laughs> it's going to be a long day and we've only had the early results so far. <laughs> Listeners the, should be the... aware. He said, "What a pint and a half gin?" Did you say? I, I did say that earlier. Yes, thank you for sharing, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and it's midday for clarity. <laughs> um, well, let's get into it then, because the local election results are starting to trickle in, and it's so far looking pretty disastrous for Labour. No one result encapsulates Keir Starmer's problems as much as the by-election in the red wall seat of Hartlepool, where a Conservative MP has been elected for the first time ever. The margin of victory was also huge, with a 16-point swing to the Tories, who gained a majority of nearly 7,000. The bitter recriminations have already begun. Let's hear the reaction of Peter Mandelson, the party's former MP for Hartlepool. We have not won a general election in 16 years. Now, we have lost the last four with 2019, a catastrophe. You know, the last 11 general elections read lose, 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 Blair, 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 lose, 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 lose. Paul, was this result inevitable? I don't think it was at all. Um, I mean, I said weeks ago on this podcast, I have been saying Labour should be increasing its majority, not losing it, uh, this seat um, completely. Um, and so uh, it is quite staggering in terms of its result. I, I, some people say, oh, well, you've got to put it in context. And, you know, it's just, you know, maybe it's Hartlepool being Hartlepool and, you know, the particular circumstances. But no, the, the wider results show that actually this is part of a pattern. Um, and that's the problem first for Starmer. There are these huge, huge 
structural problems he's got to deal with. Now, it's, you know, one thing that is tiresome, I'll say this at the start, is, you know, armchair pundits like me and everyone here, you know, trying to second guess what Keir Starmer should do next. Um, you know, it's the worst job in the world being leader of the opposition. It's like, as someone said to me the other week, it's like being England manager. Everyone's got an opinion um, and they're not always right. Um, so we should start off with that. Nevertheless, you know, these structural problems, he's, he's got to somehow grapple. They're, they're problems that have been deep seated, like Matthew will probably mention, you know, under his time with Ed Miliband, you know, the idea of a, a, a Labour vote being split by Europe um, has been there since early in the 2010s. Um, you know, it's not a new thing under Corbyn, it's certainly under Ed Miliband, you know, Farage really started to make great gains under uh, Ed Miliband's reign and 2014 European elections were a good example of that you know just just before the year before a general election when Labour should have been storming it um, it found it was being distracted by this new phenomenon and that's even before there was a Brexit referendum even thought of so you know there are structural problems about there about how do you address your working class vote what how do you address it on immigration on its values on things like identity what sort of language do you use? How 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 do you avoid patronising those voters? And how do you be in touch? With, how can you be in touch with them? But ultimately, I think it all comes down to aspiration. And Labour just isn't seen as being on the side of people who are not graduates. Uh, and a lot of these um, results overnight show that almost exactly mirrors the increase in the in the Tory voters in is in the places with the highest non-graduates in small towns and areas like that and and somehow Boris Johnson has harnessed them and harnessed them brilliantly so Starmer's got to deal with those big structural problems he's got to find a new message he's got to get a lot better at, at public speaking to be frank he needs to learn and learn quickly you know I, I was saying in my blog this morning that on Wednesday night you know the prime time before these the day before these local elections, top of the six, the 10 o'clock news, you had Boris Johnson and then you had Keir Starmer sitting at the store and you had the other leaders. But Boris Johnson had a quite a, a, a simple message, which is, look, I'm getting on with the job. Let me build back better. And Labour's just sniping from the sidelines and they're, they're not really at the races. And Starmer just mumbled this thing about, well, vote for your Labour candidate because they're the best person for your area. And it was quite so unconvincing. But even Labour voters must have thought, well, well why should I turn out for that? Um, so it, it wasn't inevitable, but there are long term problems he's got to address. We'll, we'll get into Labour's deep seated problems in a bit, Matthew. But just dealing with Hartlepool, first of all, do you think they picked the wrong candidate in an arch remainer in, in Williams? And also, could they have delayed it perhaps? There, there was talk of of the fact that it was taking place alongside the election for Tees Valley Mayor, where Tory Ben Houchen's really popular, um, didn't really help. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a big questions to ask about some of those tactical points. The shortlist of one is never a good look, um, never the, the most sort of uh, sophisticated form of political management um, uh, when it comes to these things. But I, I really don't think that um, a result of this scale can be put down to any of those um tactical points this is a really staggering result and i don't think anyone in the labor party has anything to gain from explaining it away but there's obviously lessons to learn about um things like that but the, you know the, all of the word on the uh word from people on the ground was that we had a really strong ground campaign lots of activists uh, a well-run operation by by jim mcmahon and stephanie peacock and others 
Um, I just don't think you can put it down to those um, in the grand scheme of things, small things. Um, this is a really, really bad result. Uh, we should be winning places like Hartlepool if we want to govern the country, especially given where Scotland has gone over the last five to ten years. We have to be winning places like Hartlepool. So this is a really big step back, and I think it has to be a wake-up call. I, I do think that, you know, on one hand, there's, it's quite encouraging that nobody seems to be playing that down. I don't think there's anyone in the Labour Party this morning who seems to be saying, um, well, you know, it's a close one thing or anything else like that. It, it, it should be a moment of um, reflection for everybody. You know, over the last 16 years since the Labour Party last won a general election, every faction has had a go at running the Labour Party. Everyone's had their turn and everyone has lost elections. Uh, they've lost them for different reasons and they've lost them for similar reasons. So I think that a little bit of humility from across the board would be uh, helpful um, and uh, an understanding that there are deep structural problems um, in the, the changing nature of the country. And there are big brand problems in the sense of who who people think the Labour Party is, what the people think the Labour Party is. There are staffing issues and, and shadow cabinet reshuffles upcoming, I'm sure. But I think those things are uh, what you do once you've worked out the direction of travel and where we've gone wrong in a bigger sense. Yeah, Rachel, um, you said a couple of weeks ago the pressure was on the Tories to win this seat and they've done it. What does this mean for Boris Johnson and his party? Um. Well, I think it's worth looking at just what the Conservative Party vote share in the North East has been um, at every election since 2005. So 2005 is like 19%, 2010 it was 23%, 2015 it was 25%, 2017 34, 2019 38, and we've just seen Jill Mortimer win in Hartlepool for the Conservatives with more than 50% of the vote. You know, I think like just like everybody else has been saying here, this is like a long-term structural problem and these are kind of seats that you know Boris Johnson will get a lot of the credit for for, for winning this seat and for, for you know boosting support in areas of, across the red wall but it's been a long-term trend which is something that is, was built up with um with when sort of George Osborne started talking about Northern Powerhouse and then when Theresa May tried to appeal to these seats you know it's kind of been been a long-term thing and 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 Boris will get a lot of the credit for it but it's not not just him um but just to kind of stick my stick my oar in I think Paul is like absolutely right about aspiration being should be like a big deal for the party I think um I think the Labour Party should completely own the issue of social mobility and talk about that an awful lot more because if you look at places like the northeast you've got like massive child poverty you know you're talking about 11 kids in a classroom of 30 that are in child poverty and I think Labour just doesn't seem to have a, a story about how you get from this sort of working class lad to middle class man you know that just doesn't seem to be part of the narrative for them at the minute. And, and that's so true because, you know, what was really baffling about that is that Keir Starmer is the embodiment of that aspiration story. You know, the son of a factory worker and a nurse who went on to be the first in his family to go to university. And then not just that, to become the top prosecutor in the land. You know, clearly a talented guy who's come from a working class family in East Surrey, in the south again something else you, you would have thought should be an advantage for him if he's trying to win for example the the whole of the country you know the fact that he's a southerner with a working class background should be a magic combination um, but it's not a magic combination and he needs to maybe harness a bit more on that personal story i mean i know we've talked about this before but sort of uh, uh, privately and obliquely but i think one of his problems is like a lot of working class kids he hates talking about himself and 
you know, he hates talking about um, disadvantage that he might have suffered um, in his own life or his family has suffered. He's quite a private man. And Boris Johnson is quite a private man, but he's got this public persona, which he plays brilliantly. Um, and Starmer hasn't learned yet that he needs perhaps a persona. He needs to actually um, talk a lot more about himself. He doesn't need to fake it, but he needs to um, grasp the sort of theatrical bit, the speech making bit, the soundbite making bit that is essential to being a Labour leader and the Prime Minister. You have to speak for the country. And if you can't even speak for your own circumstance, then that's a bit of a problem. Yeah, I think I think the, the risk that, that Keir Starmer's got to avoid at this point as well is kind of Labour being very divided. And I think the only way he does that is starting to talk more about values and less about like tweaks that the party needs to make to to get by you know I think core values I think I think sort of this election struck me how much like Labour's run away from stuff like that you know like equality issues culture war issues I mean the voters know what where Labour is on on this kind of thing and they kind of they smell the 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 lack of authenticity I think and that's and it's it's dividing people within the party as well I think um, we're getting we're getting back into the sort of wider thing here which we will get into but just just on to ask specifically about Hartlepool maybe Rachel or Matthew who are these voters and and in Hartlepool and you know why have they switched who are they yeah uh, <laughs> um well I, I, a lot of them are homeowners which I think is something that's not talked about enough you know you kind of if you look at places where um the support for labour is huge at the minute they have like massive housing crisis crises you know like Manchester uh, London, you know, support for the Labour Party couldn't be larger there, but, you know, home, homeowners more likely to vote Conservative. Um, and they probably are slightly more socially Conservative, which um, which is not kind of, doesn't come naturally to Labour to speak to those voters at the minute. I think that's a good point, Rachel, actually. is, And again, it's, it speaks to that whole aspiration agenda. I mean, if you look at the stats of, of this by-election and what happened in the general election, it's clear that a large chunk of those Brexit voters just went straight over to the Tories. You know, they flirted with Farage and they went straight over to the Tories. But also, there's no question a chunk of those Brexit party voters were Labour voters. And what I will find interesting is if someone can drill down into it, whether they stayed at home, as I suspect from the, from the figures, um, or whether they actually flipped to the Tories. Now, and I suspect the fact that they stayed at home, plus the fact that Labour's core vote stayed at home, they didn't have a reason for turning out. Starmer hasn't infused them. I think that's really the big problem. Um, there's a lot of talk about switches. That's true. But, you know, I think in a bigger, I think his bigger problem is failing to infuse his, what are natural Labour voters anyway. And it's not as if they are not there. It's just that they're, they're not infused to turn out. And I don't know, I think... If you can't even do that, you're not even uh, got a, a level playing field to start against Boris Johnson, who's formidable anyway at getting his own vote out. And boy, does he turn his own vote out. It's a bit like Trump. You know, he gets those voters out big time. They've got a reason to vote. Um, and my my guess, and it's only a guess, is that the Tories were brilliant at getting their vote out, not just in postal votes, but much more importantly, on the day. Labour was not so good at, in, on the postal votes. I was told that they were roughly neck and neck on postal votes at one point last night, which is really bad for Labour in a seat like this. Um, and on the day, just simply the vote didn't turn out in, in person. Um, so you've got yourself, why didn't it turn out? Uh, and my hunch is that that chunk of Brexit voters Oh, the, the Tory leaning ones of them just really did simply turn out on the day or in postal votes and Labour's didn't. I think that, that point goes to something that is true for voters in Hartlepool, but also more broadly that 
there is less loyalty to a party than there has been in the past and voters want to understand what the offer is and i think that the conservatives have a very clear uh very forward-looking offer at the moment the leveling up agenda um is clear and it means something and it speaks to voters who have felt left behind in the past uh it can be connected to brexit as well in the way in the in, in the way you sell it and and for, for places like hartlepool it, it actually mean something on the ground whether you look at the um the investments gone into the airport or the the green jobs that are, that are going in those are all things that labor should be offering but can't because we haven't been in government for a very long time and haven't had access to the checkbook the conservatives are using their their access to money and their newfound willingness to to use money this isn't the conservative party of the early 2010s they are happy to spend money and they're happier with a higher level of tax than the conservative party of previous generations might have been and they're using that and that's what people want it is a clear offer it, it is connected with values and it's connected with what's going on in people's lives and i don't think labor has that at the moment partly because they're not in government but also partly because they haven't worked out for themselves what that offer should be matthew do you think it would be wise for labor to actually start backing the leveling up agenda rather than screaming pork barrel politics as they can do uh, I, I mean I, I don't i think labor needs its own version of that what what is labor's version of the of the national story it wants to tell about where where we're going as a country that 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 should you know focus on I don't think we can just back the levelling up agenda. I think they need their own version of that. But I also really agree with the point about screaming pork barrel politics. I mean, people want spending to happen in their own backyard. So I don't, they like the pork. People are, people are not saying, well, I do want this investment to go into our local, air, uh, our local airport, but on principle, we're going to turn it down because it seems really unfair to, you know, it's just not how politics works. So yes, it's frustrating. Yes, it's incredibly annoying. Going up against Boris Johnson is one of the most infuriating things you can do in British politics over the last couple of generations. And that's another thing that Labour needs to really sort itself out on. I experienced this early when I worked for um, Labour in the 2008 mayoral campaign. Going up against Boris Johnson is incredibly infuriating. It really meshes meshes your, your mind. You can't think straight because you cannot understand how on earth is are people not seeing through this. He is, you know, shallow he is ridiculous he is says incredibly offensive things that no other politician would get away with does things in his life that no other politician would get away with and you kind of you cannot comprehend how on earth no one else is jumping up and down and being angry about it but we've gone through 15 20 years of boris johnson doing that to us i think it's time we we got over it and worked out what is it about boris johnson that people like and accepted that People can see him, they understand him, and they still want to vote for him. And that's a, that's something that Labour needs to get its head around. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, and it's true. I mean, about you know, pork barrel. I mean, Peter Anderson made a really good point, which is, you know, he's he's and it was a really possibly the best sell to Hartlepool voters was reminding them how new Labour had actually improved the town, you know, in, invest in the hospital and in the local services, in the schools, and it transformed them from years of neglect. And, and now there's no such thing as gratitude from voters and you shouldn't assume it. But Labour needs to keep saying, look, look, we have delivered in the past. We can deliver in a modern way. It doesn't have to sound like Blair to actually offer something as exciting as Blair. Um, and I think Matthew's right. It's got to have that forward looking vision for it to you know, have any impact. 
Yeah, well, it's not just Hartlepool where things have gone pear-shaped for Labour as they've lost a string of councils around the country. These include bellwether areas that are crucial to winning general elections, such as Harlow and Dudley, which have turned blue, and the Tories have taken control of Northumberland Council, which many pollsters were tipping for a Labour victory given the party's disastrous underperformance there in the last local elections in 2017. It's leading to some questions about Keir Starmer's leadership and what Labour are all about. Um, let's hear Jim McMahon, who ran Labour's campaign in Hartlepool, having a tough time on Sky News last night. No, and I think you know, in terms of kind of where Labour is and what is our offer, what do we stand for, who are we and who, do we, you know, who are we in politics to represent, uh, we are not reinventing the wheel. We are the party of working people. Uh, and we are well, can I stop you there? Course, you you appear as though you're not the party of working people because you appear to be the party of middle-class graduates in the London suburbs and the metropolitan areas and in towns like Hartlepool and other constituencies in the northeast of England, which one might describe loosely as working-class communities, you are, you've lost seats in the general election and you appear to have lost here. And, um, Paul, we've massively sort of touched on it already, but where do Labour go from here and how do they handle an economically centrist Tory party? Uh, well, it's tough. I think in some senses um, they can't rely on this, but at some point there, there will be a rocky road ahead for the government. At some point, you know, if they can't wish for unemployment to go up, for example, when furloughs withdrawn, but that may well happen. And then they're going to have to start, say, asking questions about, you know, well, what is the Tory agenda, really? Um, I think the difficulty they've got is that Johnson just dominates the airwaves in, in a way that, you know, because of the pandemic, it's it, we can't ignore this. You know, it, it dominates everything. People's only concern is what am I going to be allowed to do next? You know, I can't even see my family properly yet. Um, when that unravels, when politics goes back to normal, I think he might have a bit more of a, an opening, but he's got to seize the opening. The, I think the, the big thing is, and Matthew put his finger on it earlier, which is, that this, this should be a wake-up call last night. The problem is that Labour has had so many wake-up calls. It's like the alarm clock is bust, you know. Uh, it's Groundhog Day. It's that six o'clock moment, and they're smashing the alarm clock, and it's happening again and again and again. And, and there's the same tune coming out, which is Labour last night lost a seat. Labour was defeated. The Tories have won. And that's the same radio report on that radio. Um, and Blair actually... Um, after the 2019 uh, uh, debacle, gave a very impressive speech in which he, you know, he said when he saw that exit poll, it was like a flash of lightning that clarifies the landscape for you. The problem is the lightning goes and if we're not careful, we'll just go back to darkness again. That's You can say that's kind of in a way what happened. Now, obviously, COVID happened so that you have to put that to one side. But equally, I've never really got a sense, and I've mentioned this before, being in opposition should be the should be when you wake up every day, you should hate it, not enjoy it. And that anger seems to just dissipate. The anger of defeat seems to just fade away over the next few weeks or months. Yeah, there's a few bits and bobs they do, but there's no fundamentals reset. And I think it's this reset. Um, that Wes Streeting, who's probably almost certainly going to get some sort of promotion, I would have thought, has, has used the word reset um, this morning. And I think he's, he's probably right, because if you lose that drama, that sense of shock, that's when Labour then looks at its own navel. It starts doing its internal battles. It starts looking at its own priorities and doesn't start 
what it's always said it wants to do, which is reconnect with the voters. There's no evidence of reconnecting, really. Um, and I made the point this morning in my thing on six reasons why Labour lost Hartlepool, you know, the anti-Semitism thing was all right in, on its own terms. But how many people really engage with that? General members of the public? How many people, they, they kind of had a, a vague inkling, Starmer had got things right on that, but did they really know the detail and were they paying attention? Probably not. Um, and I think it's that that flash of lightning moment that needs to stay with Starmer every morning when he wakes up. And um, how is he going to prove it? I don't know. I mean, there, there is a, Matthew will probably disagree with me on this, that there is a narrative that's sort of abroad um, and he kind of touched on it. Um, and I think Stu Wood has said something similar this morning, which is, look, every different faction of the party has had its go since since 2010. Well, actually, that's not true. You know, since 2005, there has been no Blairite leader of the of the Labour Party um, for whatever reason, good or real. That's just not happened. Will Starmer now seize this moment to actually say, look, I'm not I can re I re understand why Gordon Brown lost. I understand why Miliband lost, why Corbyn lost. I get it. And it is about aspirations and it's about translating this party into a vehicle for government to make sure people whatever their background not just labor supporters but whatever their background can get on and he can then delineate how the tory agenda doesn't allow people to get on how actually it hampers people's opportunity unless unless he starts grasping that agenda um i think they're, they're gonna get defeated again and again and again matthew do you want to come in there yeah i mean i think i think there's a lot to what paul said I, the, the thing for me is that um I think that Keir and the party more broadly need to look at the challenge less in the context of which of the factions do we need to move close to or, or which, which of the bits of the Labour Party's you know, sort of last 20 years should we try and copy. Loads of these conversations happen through the prism of, you know, well, we won in 97, so why don't we try that? Or Gordon Brown was, you know, did brilliantly try that or whatever else it might be. And, and you know, ref I think we need to reflect the nuance of the party, reflect the nuance of party voters and the and of the country. You know, Hartlepool voters are left wing on some issues and quite right wing on other issues and quite centrist on other issues. And I think this sort of um, zero sum game within the Labour Party, where if if the right, quote unquote, the right of the party gets an idea front and centre, that means the left has lost and vice versa, is really damaging. What um, uh, the Democrats in the US did really effectively after Joe Biden became the nominee was to really kind of synthesize the ideas from across the party, both to acknowledge, you know, the right of the Democrats acknowledge the radical, the radicalism of this moment post pandemic, as we come out of the pandemic, and the left recognized that the, 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 the right were kind of in control, they had the nominee and, and so on and so forth. And we kind of synthesized the different ideas from across the across the party and that's playing out in government now as well so i think that we need to have a bit more nuance in some of these dis discussions and um less about which, which which faction is up and which faction is down i i, t I totally get that actually matthew but uh, it's not it's the equivalence i think i'm having talked to a couple of labor mps this morning it's the equivalence that they dislike that somehow the Miliband era was equivalent to the Blair era. It was just as valid, or that the Corbyn era was just as valid. When, or even the Brown era, they keep saying to me, "Look, 
look at what wins votes. And there's only one thing that wins votes, and that's a direct appeal to voters on aspiration. And you don't have to use the label Blairite. You don't have to use the label right wing. What you do is you learn from what Blair did well. And that's their point that they keep making. They keep saying that, look, of course, you can't go back in time and you have to look forward. You can't repeat. If you try to reproduce what Labour proposed in 97, you'd be way out of date. But they're saying, why, why are we treating Blair like an embarrassing uncle? Why, why is it that we're, we're just afraid of learning the lessons from someone who's the only person who's won general elections? Why, we, why is this cultural cringe about talking about Blair's successes? And what do you reckon to that, Matthew? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's right. I mean, there's so much of what Tony Blair says that is incredibly um, thoughtful and, and intelligent and smart. And I just wish that somebody else was saying it because they comes with so much baggage. Um, and, and, you know, some of it is fair, you know, uh, that baggage is fair. People are still incredibly angry about the Iraq war and rightly so, and some of the other mistakes that happen in government, some of it's unfair. Um, but, you know, you are right that we, we as a party need to learn lessons from anyone who's got intelligent input to make. Um, we do have to be more aspirational. What what aspirational means in 2021 is different to what aspirational meant in 1995. And I think that sometimes some Blairite commentators come into this definitely with a we should go back and do exactly what happened in 1995 when we didn't have social media and we didn't have you know the technology we've got and everything else and that's why it gets rejected I think if everybody could come to the discussion with a little bit more humility um it, it would be it would be more fruitful but I, I don't disagree with your broader point yeah Matthew you've um you worked on the Obama campaign and I, I guess you're you're quite close to some of the people around Biden um he had this kind of similar situation whereby working class voters in the Rust Belt in America, which is sort of like our red wall, deserted the Democrats for Trump. But he he's now won some of them back. He flipped some of those states. What are the lessons do you think Labour can learn from his campaign? You've kind of touched on it there. I mean, it's kind of from a from a policy and offer point of view, a relentless focus on making people's lives better um investing um in really big ways in uh, new jobs and in using the climate crisis to uh, build a new economy um while at the same time protecting the other side of the coalition by being really strong on racial justice and on um uh, other forms of social justice um but part of that comes from the messenger I think that Joe Biden has a lifetime of commitment to working class people demonstrated through his entire career. And I think that's one thing that quite often gets under under talked about. It's not just about what is being said, what is Labour trying to communicate, but also who is doing that communication? Uh, does it feel like people are being talked down to? Does it feel like uh, the the messenger understands um, uh, uh, the, the the people he's he he or she is is talking to? And I think that we haven't um, we haven't confronted that enough in the Labour Party over the last ten years. Yeah, Rachel, it's interesting what um, Matthew said there about appealing on one side to people's aspiration in these areas, but also being really strong on things like racism on the other side. We've kind of been talking away from the podcast this morning along similar lines. Um, yeah. Do you, you want to just go ahead? Um, well, I just, think, I just think Labour cannot continue. And I think, well, I, I think it's really patronising to working class voters to sort of pretend that they're somehow anti 
equality because because they were supportive of say Brexit or the Conservative Party or whatever. I think it's kind of I think that's really deeply patronising to them and and wrong. You know, it's kind of I think it's 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 it just lacks authenticity for um, Keir Starmer to turn up and avoid talking about those issues and and sort of pretending that you know, Labour is not a sort of very pro-equality party and that that's what the Labour movement thinks. I think the, I think voters can really feel that and, and want to re want to reject the sort of lack of a lack of a lack of ability for him to be upfront. Um, and I think the Labour can't pretend that it like doesn't have a view. And I think if you look at sort of um, sort of working class voters in Scotland, everyone thinks that the only game in town up there is like the, the independence argument or whether you're for the union or whether you're for Scottish independence. But I think the SNP is really able to communicate and communicate well, sort of positive values around, around equality. And if that's a positive image for them. And I think voters want to identify with positive values. Um, and I think that's, it's, it appeals to them because it's, it's communicated as something that's positive and Labour just looks like it's running away from, from anything remotely connected to the culture war. And it's vacating that ground altogether. It feels there is a there, there is a wider problem, isn't there? Which is Labour. The way Labour talks about values, you know, you, I've heard that um, Starmer talk about Labour values repeatedly, as if they're somehow um, that that Labour owns morality and that the Tories somehow are immoral. Um, and I think that kind of language, the danger is that you make Tory, people who vote Tory, you make them sound like they're immoral. And Labour needs to sort of just perhaps recalibrate what it does. And I think Rachel's right about equality. You know, people shouldn't be patronised in, in the sense that Labour's driving mission should be, say, this is all about fairness. There's a fundamental British principle of fair fairness and fair play. And that affects the culture issues, that affects economic equality and opportunity. And it's like that Australian phrase of just giving someone a fair go. Now, if Labour can recapture that, um, then it's it's possibly, it, it, yeah, at least in the conversation, because that that sense of fairness is what people really want. And, and it's when Labour does well, it's when it captures that sense of fairness, because it says, look, there's an unfairness in the structural issues that mean that a kid from you know, Rochdale can't end up in um, in uh, a well-paid job or wherever. You just know, to, just and, to and, use a random example, Paul. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I keep saying this, but I'm the exception from my town. You know, there's loads of kids in my uh, my year, my cohort, who have not done well at all. Um, and you'd, unless Labour talks in the sense of fairness, and what and that's the only way, the prism through which I think it can genuinely make inroads on the Tory agenda because it can say actually they talk fairness but they they there are these fundamental problems with their policy offer that means that you it's unfair um and you know unless it starts doing that and doing it effectively it's not got a chance I mean Starmer again he needs to learn from some of the best in the business he needs to learn from Andy Burnham he needs to learn from Marvin Rees Marvin Rees the way he handled that whole Black Lives Matter issue was just pitch perfect absolutely brilliant it, it it combined labor's fundamental sense of fairness in the sense of that equal rights for all races but also said look you know you can't go down the criminal damage route um and we have to look at this in the round and he was brilliant at it um you know mark drakeford in wales you know has his own sort of grandfatherly approach to 
um, fairness. And you keep coming back to that word and, and Labour needs to own that as well as the word aspiration. And if it can do both, then it's got a chance. But it, 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 at the moment, it doesn't seem to be even speaking that language. I was just going to say, if you look at sort of how Sturgeon dealt with um, uh, Jaden Franson yesterday, the Britain First um, yeah. woman in, in, in Glasgow, she just kind of gave her a very short shrift, said, you know, the people of this city will yeah. reject you. And it, and it felt like Labour didn't really even have the guts to send, I mean, I, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think he went, to, they didn't send their um, Shadow Justice Secretary, David Lammy, to campaign in Hartlepool. And that to me just seems, you know, Quite, yeah. quite cowardly. Um, Rachel, I just wanted to um, ask you what's sort of practically next now for Starmer and Labour? Um, are we going to see infighting? Could we see a reshuffle? Who might get promoted? Who might get demoted? Um, well, you've already seen sort of scrapping on the airwaves this morning. I think um, uh, Laura Pidcock has been on BBC News sort of um, setting out her, her stall as to, you know, keeping the party not to not tack into the right and similarly you had you know Peter Mandelson on about an hour later um you know blasting people on the left saying this is what's happened to the Conservative Party vote share in uh, the northeast for the last few elections so um in terms of a reshuffle it looks kind of inevitable um and I think they've got sort of quite a good few good people who have who but seem to have responded well to like I think Paul mentioned um, West Street, and he seems to be in line for some kind of promotion. Perhaps Jess, Jess Phillips also, um, and obviously uh, the big one would probably be what what what's Keir Starmer got to do about his shadow of Chancellor? It seems um, increasingly likely that Annalise Dodds be moved in favour of um, Rachel Reeves, but um, I don't know. If, I don't know quite when Keir Starmer's planning his his reshuffle, but I wouldn't. You know, it'd be sometime in the next week, certainly, I would have thought. There, there is a big problem with that, of course, which is Keir Starmer said this week, I take full personal responsibility for any defeat. And if, you, if, and if you start reshuffling the Shadow Cabinet, it looks like you're blaming everyone else. So, But they're all his choices. Yeah, so he's, he's got he's to, gotta, you know, own the defeat as much as, as say, you know, there are other th changes he could make. Yeah, he can't reshuffle himself, can he, Matthew? Can I ask Matthew... Um, what 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 he, what he thinks this means for Angela Rayner, because obviously she's been sort of campaign chief, uh, you know, throughout throughout their local elections. And how do you think what do you think this means for her? I, I mean, I don't, I don't. I think she's had a a good campaign. I think she's a, an effective communicator, and I think that she's, you know, we were saying earlier about someone who can be a messenger, um, so that it's not just what is being said, but who is saying it. Um, and I, I don't think that Labour's had a, a, a bad set of results here or what looks like a bad set of results because of the campaign. I think it, it goes deeper than that. But I, I think one thing that I'd say to, um, uh, you know, I'd say is that Keir Starmer is in a strong position in the Labour Party. Um, there will be a lot of noise over the next few days and it will look bumpy. But when, you, when it comes down to the fundamentals, he won an overwhelming majority um, uh, for leadership uh, his supporters control the National Executive Committee. Nobody across the party is saying they think there should be a, a, you know, a change of leader. So he should use that um, firm foundation he's got to take a little bit of time and to think through fundamentally what does he work, what does he want to do in government and work back from there. You know, 
it, 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 I also think there should be a little bit. He, we we deserve as as party members and supporters a bit of honesty from him about where things have gone wrong because you know he went into the leadership contest last year saying he didn't want to oversteer away from Corbynism, and the line coming out of last night's results is we need to accelerate the change of pace. Those two things and don't don't add up. So what has changed? What has led? Uh, him to uh, decide there should be a change of direction. What is that change of direction going to be? I think we need some honesty. It will hurt because things have gone wrong. The results haven't been good. Um, but I think that uh, honesty will earn him time and support. I think the Labour Party is united around wanting to get back into government. And, um, uh, you know, he, he, is, he has been chosen as the person to lead us into the next election. So I think he's got some time. I think political management is always a difficult thing to do, but he should kind of leave that to the political managers and focus on the fundamentals and, and where he wants to go over the next period. Yeah, you make the point about the next general election there. Steve Reid said this morning, made the point that it could come as early as 2023. I've spoken to some Tories who are suggesting it could or even should come next year. So has Starmer run out of time already? Anyone who wants to answer that? I think he's got a problem. Uh, he needs to get a move on. You know, as I said earlier, he needs to every morning wake up with that sense of shock that the people have got overnight and that they had in 2019. And that's surely got to be a motivator. Um, it needs to infect everything he does. And then you get a sense, if you get that sense of urgency, everything will follow, you know, um, if you're leading from the top, you really are a leader that you say you are, then you'll be able to implement it. I mean, for God's sake, how are you going to persuade the country you're going to be prime minister if you can't even persuade the voters in a local election that you're there offer? <clears throat> you know, it's, it's it beggars belief, really, despite all those structural problems he's got, you know, and they are fundamental, really big problems about how he handles Brexit, what he says about Brexit in the next election, what does he put in the manifesto about renegotiating a Brexit deal, what does he say about immigration, what does he say about Black Lives Matter. For a Labour leader, it's much tougher than a Tory leader because you don't have a compliant party who just lets you get on with it. You've got a party constantly at your heels, quite rightly, that the, the party believes it's his conscience, you know, and um, the reason they're in the Labour Party and not in the Tory party is because they have different values from the Tories. Um, and that's and that's what they think. And he he got to manage that, as, as Matthew says, he's got to manage it. But at the same time, he's got to show the voters that he really makes a big change. I think one big thing could be post-Covid him regularly holding meet Keir Starmer sessions like the like Cameron directs that kind of thing he's got to go up and down in workplaces be seen talking to people in Rolls Royce in you know Airbus in you know Sainsbury's he's got to actually engage with people directly and I think be seen to be doing it as well and I think that would make a big difference but at the end of the day as we heard from Ed Miliband's, you know, what was it, five million, three million conversations? You can have as many conversations as you like. If you don't know what you're actually going to say, what your own script is, people aren't going to be listening. Yeah, well, on that, it's time for the quiz. Oh. Yay! We need a bit yeah. of relief, don't we? <laughs> and this, well, you say relief, this week's quiz is on by-elections, so... Oh. <laughs> Just shout the answer if you know it. <laughs> that is, I'm very confident. <laughs> leaning leaning bet, back with his is. chair there. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the gin talk. Yeah. <laughs> Pouring another one. <laughs> um, since 2010, two MPs have triggered by-elections, which they have subsequently won. Who are those? David Davis. No. Is one. 
since, 20, since, since 2010. When? Oh, 2010, sorry. Could you say with the question again? Sorry. Two MPs triggered by elections, which they then subsequently won. Ooh. God. They're linked. There's a clue. Ooh. Jeez. Um, Was the Sheffield guy? No. Um, this is a killer. I'm impressed, Arge, at this. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Since 2010. Um... Oh, gonna have to put us out of our misery. Go on, here. Arge. <laughs> Give us a clue. This is the best quiz you've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I'll give you. I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a clue. Well, think about the reason a by-election could come about without that person. You know the usual reasons, such as someone's died or someone's done something wrong and they've been kicked out or they've quit as an MP. What is another reason that someone would trigger a by-election? Running for another seat, winning another seat for something else, like MEP. No, that doesn't. Is work. it crime? Go on, we give uh, it. Yeah, go on. Um, it's Douglas Carswell and Mark Reckless. What? Who triggered by-elections after defecting to oh, UK yeah. from the Tories? <laughs> <laughs> that's good. You got us good. You got us good there. That's a good one. And they both won. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. God, um, it's a bit of ancient history now, even though it probably wasn't that long ago. Um, which current Scottish party leader first became an MP thanks to a by-election victory? Anna Sauer, wasn't it? Was it not? Oh. Became uh, an MP. Willie Rennie. Yeah. Well done, Paul. It's Willie Rennie. He won uh, Dunfermline and West Fife from Labour in 2006. It's pronounced Woolly. 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 Okay, fi Wally final one. Uh, I think someone should get this. Um, which was the first by-election triggered by uh, the successful use of a recall petition under the 2015 Recall of MPs Act? Ian Paisley? No. Oh. It was... Um... It's a Labour MP, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's um, because uh, she was in court. Not, not the Peterborough woman. Yeah. 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 Um, Fiona. Olusanyu. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. going to give you all a point. It's a collective. <laughs> uh, <laughs> collective. Uh, There's a tumble over the line. <laughs> yeah. yeah <it> <laughs> <laughs> a bit like last night. No. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> It was Peterborough after Fiona Onisanya was recalled following a conviction for perverting the courts of justice in relation to speeding points issued in 2017. Uh, so, Paul, you've won the quiz 2-1-1. Well done. Um, pleased to win something recently. <laughs> Given my football club has been relegated. But anyway, we won't oh, go God. into that. Well, yeah, Matthews has gone up and Leeds are doing very well, so that's good. Um, but unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you to my guests for joining me and make sure you subscribe to Commons People on all the usual channels and please be sure to leave a review and get your daily dose of what's happening in Westminster by subscribing to the Warzone newsletter at bit.ly forward slash the hyphen war hyphen zone. We'll just leave you with Nicola Sturgeon showing exactly how to deal with racists as she was heckled by the ex-Britain First Deputy Leader, Jada Franson. Of course, the locals what the ones that you flooded from other countries. You know, you, you yourself are ashamed. I'm a proud Scotsman and I don't like my country being turned into another country by you. Fascist, you are a racist, and the south side of Glasgow will 
reject you. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.